0: With the scent of potpourri Films with commit and memory Crossing the felt roads Watching from home on my TV Looking at all tell me I view obsessively. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com. And while every episode will always be free, if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com obsessiveviewer for tons and tons of bonus audio content, including TV and book reviews, immediate reaction movie reviews, <laughs> Patreon potpourri episodes, movie commentary tracks, book reactions, uh, I already said that, and much more. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and you can find me on social media, including Letterboxd, at Obsessive Viewer. And today on the show, we're doing an extended potpourri where we go back and forth talking about a bevy of things we've watched lately in non-spoiler reviews. It's a full-length extension of the potpourri segment that ends our normal episodes. And joining me today to do this, of course, is my co-host Tiny, who can be followed on social media and letterboxed at Obsessive Tiny. Tiny, how's it going? And welcome to episode 400 of the Obsessive Viewer Podcast, how's it going, buddy? Hey, yeah, going great. Yeah. 400 four hundred episodes. four hundo. Like that Crazy. is that is a number. Like that is yeah, that is wild. Like, do you do you know what episode three hundred was? Like, when was it? well what it was. That should give you an idea of when it was too. It was it was one of the only episodes that was me going solo. Um oh. it was um me talking about Disney Plus. <laughs> the oh, shit, really like just coming out, Disney Plus. I reviewed the Lady in the Tramp remake and uh oh that movie Noelle, I think, um, and talked about okay. like oh, um Jeff Goldblum's show and high school musical mm-hmm. the musical uh Dang. that was episode 300 <laughs> and, wow so that yeah. was like
1: what probably a that was five y- years ago
0: years well, ago yeah um let me damn. look up real quick and see when it was um because i'm curious That's about wild. that yeah it's 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 like a lifetime ago honestly like it's it's what it feels like wild yeah because i mean we already like this summer we celebrated 10 years yeah okay november 10th 2019 was episode 300 um and we've been doing it for 10 years so that's crazy um yeah yeah almost four years to the dot yeah yeah that's true because it's already november jesus um yeah so how do you feel about 400 episodes of the obsessive viewer
1: It's awesome man i mean when you really think about how many that is because like if you think at the time you know Mm -hmm. because how many episodes do we have that are Uh, over two hours i mean uh quite a bit quite quite a a bit yeah yeah. and we have more than a handful there are three hours so Mm -hmm. i mean like that's just that the amount of time that's just insane um yeah and you know if you think there's 52 weeks in a year that's you know almost eight years worth of podcasting right there but right you know it's actually 10 years that we've been doing this but uh and then take into account that that you know, you have your own solo podcast mm-hmm. and you do a bunch of Patreon stuff by yourself. And then yeah. we have Tower Junkies Tower that Junkies. has, what, almost 80 episodes now? Uh,
0: I think maybe 90. Is it that close? I think so. Um, yeah. So Tower Junkies, we have... Uh, on Tower Junkies, we have 92 episodes. Dang. Yep. And then bananas, am- man, it is crazy. Anthology. Oh, Jesus Christ. I've done 164 episodes of anthology. Wow. Um, which I need to bring that back. And uh, since I finished season three of the Twilight Zone, I need to have you on to do the kind of in between seasons uh, episode reviewing a, a Rod Serling movie. So I'll talk more okay. about that to you at some point. But yeah, um, we'll hash something out. Yeah, yeah, and then of course there's Patreon, which uh, <laughs> there is a total of I want to say, and this is a little bit of an inflated number because there is maybe maybe thirty um, early access episodes on there, so this isn't maybe this is maybe not an exact figure because of the early access episodes, which are basically what you guys are listening to now, but earlier. Uh, 682 posts on Patreon.
1: <laughs> Holy shit. I was not expecting that.
0: <laughs> yep. 682 on Patreon this weekend. So, uh, I'll just kind of go into my spiel about Patreon. Guys, help me pay my rent and join Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I say that laughing, but it's maybe not that much of a joke. But anyway, um, but no, uh, Patreon, there is, uh, I do a ton of stuff, at the $2 level, that is where you get probably the most bang for your buck. But here in a few weeks, screener season is starting, award season is starting. And when that happens, I post a lot of Patreon potpourri um, on the uh, $5 and above tiers. That's basically me. Like, I will watch screeners, I will set aside like an, ent- an entire evening and weekend to watch screeners. And then when I watch four of them, I talk about them in a full length Patreon potpourri episode on Patreon for $5 and above levels. (laughs) And it's all like movies during award season and stuff that, um, I watch for awards consideration and everything. But, um, but that's, that's what's to come on Patreon. Like what I have now is I do a lot of immediate reaction, uh, reviews, which is basically when I see a new release movie, I will share my immediate reaction to it. So anything, most anything that I watch that's from the, the year 2023, I will post a thing, uh, an immediate reaction. I have posted this year alone on Patreon, just immediate reactions. This is not including the book reviews. This is not not including the uh, uh, any of the other things, the TV reactions or anything. This year alone, from January to now November 1st, I have posted 43 immediate reaction episodes on Patreon. Um, It is insane. You are a machine. Thank you. Yes, I (laughs) I can't compute that. Feeling, um, no, um, <laughs> no, I, I'm very proud of it. And uh, yeah, check it out, patreon.com slash Um And I, there's also a Patreon shop where you can buy things individually, uh, grouped up and everything. So you'll see like immediate reactions during like uh, groups of like 15 or so um, grouped together and everything. All that's at patreon.com slash viewer. And again, helps me pay my rent and the fees to keep the podcast running and everything. So Nice. Yes. So, uh, yeah, 400. Awesome. <laughs> I'm very excited very for cool. 400 more and more after that. Um, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, I also think I did the math or not math, but I basically plugged all the episodes into, uh, a, uh, like VLC player. And I could see that I think the total runtime of all like 399 episodes all together, I wanna say that it was 30 days worth of audio. Jeez. I think. Um so so yeah. Wow. So keep that in mind. We have we have released 30 days worth of audio on the main feed. <laughs> That's insane. It is insane. It is very much insane. Wow. Yeah. So anyway. Extended potpourri. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, so congratulations on this milestone, Tiny. And I'm very excited for us to keep doing this until we're gone. You too, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so uh, we are going to get into extended potpourri, which is the... Uh, like I said, it's the extension of the potpourri segment of our regular episode. So basically we're going to be kind of going round robin, talking about movies, shows and whatever that we have, uh, watched lately. So, uh, before we get into the round robin of that, I have two pieces of news that I want to talk about. Actually three pieces of news. If you wouldn't mind me getting us kicked started with those three things. Go for it. Okay. So the first one is going to be brief because it doesn't have like actual information, but um, it's a little bit of a um, of a crossover with Tower Junkies because uh, I think Variety uh, reported that the long shelved uh, Salem's Lot remake that was supposed to come out like two years ago and then got pushed to last year and then was supposed to come out this year and then just disappeared from uh the release slate uh, it was replaced by Evil Dead Rises. um that is I have been under the assumption that it is that it it was gonna be shelved and we're never it was gonna be backgirled like we weren't gonna see it, but now the scuttlebutt is that it's gonna be dumped on on Max at some point. so I don't know when, but it'll be interesting to see that and talk about it on tower junkies.
1: Um yeah. We've yeah. Really been you... talking about it for years at this point.
0: Exactly. Are you looking forward to it? What are your what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, I kind of I was never super excited about it. Um mm-hmm. I uh, I don't know why. I guess um I just don't necessarily need it. I don't I don't know it's yeah. it's another remake, you know? Mm-hmm. I there's there's a lot of original King stuff out there that can be made. Um yeah. But uh I I don't know. I don't even remember many of the details, like who's involved and stuff. So
0: Yeah, it's um Gary uh Doman, I'm I'm not sure, but one of the one of the producers of it. Um mm-hmm. so I mean we'll see. Um I just recently reread Salem's Lot um for for October just because of the vibe and everything of it. Um and it's never been a novel that's really uh spoken to me or really really impressed me all that much um but this time around i i actually kind of uh, my my affinity for it grew a little bit and i think that it could be done well if it was remade um and adapted so i don't know have you you've nice. read a lot right
1: yeah it's been quite a while though okay um, yeah i would love to see my clan again do it oh my god yes but I mean, yes. I'd love to see Mike Flanagan do fucking Sesame Street. So <laughs> right, <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Like, um, speaking of Mike of Mike Flanagan, like you said, yeah, original. You want to see like original Stephen King stuff? Uh, he is currently filming the Life of Chuck. Um, the nice. yeah, SAG after like they did a whole like it. It is within with it is within the rules of the strike and everything because it is a fully independent production. Um, But he is filming the life of Chuck. It's got Mark Hamill, Tom Hiddleston, Heather Langenkamp, Matthew Lillard. um, And there was a bunch of other people that were announced. Uh, A lot of his, you know, his uh, recurring actors that he uses. I'm sure Kate Siegel's in it. Um, a bunch of people like the full cast was announced, and I was just—I'm floored. I—I I can't wait because I love that novella so much. Um, wow! Yeah. So Amazing. yeah, so I'm—I'm I'm very excited, very excited. And then once that's done, he can start working on the Dark Tower. Um, <laughs> for real? So yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, but that's what I got for those news items. Uh, really quickly, there was another news item. That came out. That um, that there's going to be a sequel that is um, planned to be filmed in 2024. A sequel to It Follows called They Follow, with Ooh. yeah, with Maka Monroe uh, reprising her role and the director whose name I uh, am forgetting. Um. The director is coming back for it as well. God, why can't I think of his name? Uh, David Robert Mitchell. Um, mm. So there's going to be a sequel to It Follows. How do you feel about that?
1: really surprised. I mm. mean, you know, It Follows was, gosh, was that eight, seven, eight
0: years ago? 2014 or 15, I think. I think it had like a festival run in 2014 and was released in 2015, like wide release. A while ago. Um,
1: yeah. I'm all for it because I loved It Follows. I Me thought too. the feel and style of that movie was so freaking cool. Mm. Um, so, I I mean, I'm all for it. Nice. I am a little red, reticent
0: about it just because it's it's been so long and I don't know what angle he can come at it from uh, to make it interesting. Because one of the be- best things about It Follows is... There are so many different threads to it that it can be interpreted in so many ways. We did like we talked about that for like three separate episodes when it came out um, on the podcast. And there were so many different uh, different angles that we can come at, like from um, uh, sexual assault angle and um, basically uh, parental trauma Like, a bunch of different things. Like, it is a very, very smart movie. And I'm very curious how it could be expanded upon. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah, me too.
0: Yeah. So, we'll see.
1: I could see it being a huge failure, failure, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too.
1: I mean, I don't want that, but...
0: Right, right. Yeah. Um, And then the final piece of news that I have is that uh was it sunday or monday uh, i think it was sunday uh matthew perry passed away um yeah obviously very famous for uh for friends and the whole 9 yards and a whole bunch of other stuff that he's done um he passed away and this was a uh, like this is this is one of the celebrity deaths that afe- affected me a little bit Mostly because I was a huge fan of Friends growing up. Like, I loved that show. I adored it. But it also didn't surprise me um, because, and this is the kind of weird thing about it, is that the last time we did an extended potpourri episode uh, was episode 392. And in it, I talked extensively about his memoir, uh, uh, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. Um, and I talked about how I did not like that book. Like I was very disappointed and I felt like it painted him in a very bad light. And there was a lot of issues with it that even, even though he does have, uh, like there is good things in it about his recovery and his work with people who are, uh, who are struggling with addiction and everything that is phenomenal. But there was just a lot of um issues that came up with with me reading the book and everything but and i and i will say that i stand by those thoughts like i still have those same feelings about the book and everything but his death is it kind of rocked social media and was particularly effective to me because I was such a big fan of friends and everything. And I have this whole thought process of why it's, why like it's personally affecting for, especially people our age who grew up watching friends and everything. But, um, I don't know. How did, how did you respond to the news of Matthew Perry's passing?
1: Just surprised. Mm -hmm. I was really surprised, you know, I, I, if it was 10 years ago, I would have been less surprised, you know, Mm -hmm. when he was still suffering through his addiction issues. Um, or i'm not sure how long he was sober but um Mm. but yeah i you know i I just wasn't expecting it i I Mm -hmm. really wasn't um and it's i think he he was my always my favorite character on friends Mm -hmm. and i I, such a shame that he never really had much else as far as a body of work goes yeah Um, i mean the the whole nine yards that franchise i thought was great Mm -hmm. um and he was hilarious. Those movies still hold up really well. Um, but other, other than that, I just, I feel like he doesn't, he doesn't have a lot to his, to his, uh, to his credit, you know? Um, and it's, it's just a shame because I feel like he's comedically a genius. You know, there's, there's all, all these stories and everything about friends where, you know, he was eventually encouraged to kind of ad lib or take a line Mm -hmm. and make it his own. And he really, made it his own and improved a lot of the writing on that show. Um, and it just speaks to his talent as as a comedic person. And yeah, um, it's just, just a big loss and really sad.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think one of the things, one of the big things that sticks out to me about the staying power of Chandler Bing really is that one of the things about that show that I... Like Friends like was was a cornerstone of my upbringing. Like I I like when I was a teenager, I would buy the DVDs the day they came out. I remember specifically when like season 5 or 6 came out on DVD, like I faked being sick to stay home from school and I had my mom <laughs> take me to Circuit City to buy the DVD. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, I remember, like, in the summer, I would stay up all night literally watching an entire season on DVD, um, like, manually taking out the discs and changing them in, like, a six-disc set. Um, I adored that show. And I think one of the special things about friends and we did a whole, like Mike and I did a whole friends retrospective episode. That's one of those like almost three hour episodes that we did. Um, I'll link in the show notes and everything. But, um, one of the important things about that show, I think was that it was a true ensemble show. Like it was six main characters, main cast members. Um, they're like, uh, early in the run. Um, David Schwimmer, uh, can convinced everyone that uh, no matter how this goes or anything, like no matter what, whenever we go to like renegotiate our contracts and everything, we do it as a single unit. And like, that's what they did. And this show ran for 10 seasons. I don't have like, like 270 some episodes that, 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 that could be something I'm pulling strictly out of my ass, but, um, over 200 episodes and all six of the cast was in every single episode. And that is monumental. Like that is nuts. Um, because it was one of the most popular shows of all time, basically. And like just the fact that you know there wasn't like sure there was a lot of uh, the friends cast were doing like movies and stuff and everything but like never interfering with the shooting or anything um and then also tragically like matthew perry's uh abuse uh like substance abuse issues and everything were like he was he was he was he was using like he was addicted to painkillers and alcohol. through a lot of the show and like, it came to a point where the cast had to convince him to like seek help and everything and like stage an intervention for him and everything. But anyway, all that's to say that I think that the staying power of Chandler being, and the reason why a lot of millennials, at least like people our age are so affected by it is because while that show was a, an ensemble series that had six different characters, all all in every episode, there is something particularly special about Chandler and the Chandler and Monica arc. And I haven't really talked about this or thought it like, I've just thought about it and I haven't vocalized it or anything, but like the show was a mega hit and four seasons in, they decided to at the, like at the end of one of the seasons, they hooked Monica and Chandler up And so that's like the end of season four. So for the majority of the series, we see the romantic arc of Monica and Chandler going like, like it goes through all of its paces. They have their ups and downs. They have their struggles. They have all of these things, uh, engagement, marriage, uh, uh, can, uh, fertility issues, career changes, all of these things. And I think that that is, I I would, I would, I would say that like millennials who watched that growing up, especially millennials at an impressionable age and even, you know, Gen Z, um, but like people who watch that at an impressionable age, like that is some of like, in terms of relationship, like viewing relationships, we saw an entire relationship throughout the entirety of the series And like there's already this idea that sitcoms and sitcom characters can leave an indelible print on the audience's like mind and everything because this is a comfort show. This is a show that you watch to be comforted and it's a show that is comedic and you get into into a bubble or whatever where you feel like, yeah, maybe this is like it is like it is like you're friends with them, like not literally, but like it has it has those same kind of properties. So I don't know. I I'm rambling, but I kind of feel like there's something there in terms of like millennials experiencing the Chandler and Monica um, arc throughout the series, and that's why Matthew Perry's death has a as a has a deep impact on on um, on the audience who grew up watching it. So I don't know
1: thoughts for sure (laughs) Um, i i I agree he was you know friends and chandler were a staple yeah of of our coming of age so yeah i mean
0: yeah and he was also not the voice of reason in the series but he was the sarcastic mirror for this for the series like he was the one who was probably closest to the audience in terms of perspective like he would point out the goofiness of the situations and everything. So, I don't know. Always always fun. For sure. Yeah. Um the other thing, and then we can get into extended potpourri The other thing about his death that really has bothered me. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about this. I just want to rant for a second, but like uh we've talked about how we are we are TikTok boys now. Um and I am a TikTok influencer now uh, creating content. I'm an honorary Gen Z. Um, but <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> but something that I've seen on TikTok in the wake of Matthew Perry's passing is a handful of people that have come across my, my for you page. The algorithm has sent them into my eyeballs that people are like, are looking at his Instagram, seeing like some erratic behavior and people talking about how he was vaccinated and suddenly he died. Like it is Mm. not only is it disrespectful and unbelievably stupid, but it is just infuriating. It is infuriating because like I saw a TikTok where someone said like, It's so like the one of the ones that's talking about, like how he was vaccinated. It's that's a whole thing. But but she was like, he's he was 54. He's so young and perfectly healthy. And it's like he wasn't, though, like it is common knowledge for decades. He had substance abuse problems in his in his memoir. He talks about how he was consuming upwards of, I think, 60 Vicodin a day. And it reached a point where he had he had had in the recent past in the last 5, 6 or 7 years, he had had severe medical issues. He had a perforated like his gastrointestines were were perforated and had to be like he had to have emergency surgery to sew it up. Um his colon exploded and he was in a coma. With a two percent chance of survival for two weeks, and at one point, I guess his the top row of his teeth just fell out. Like he was not in good health. He was also a heavy smoker for decades. Like the idea that this man who has survived so much, and as tragic as it is, and as 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 sad as it is, it like when reading his memoir, as much as I kind of didn't like the memoir itself, the reading it, I was like, like as dark as this is, it, it's kind of a miracle that he has lived this long because of the abuse that, that he, uh, like his, his, his addiction and his, his disease basically. Um, and so for people to knee jerk react to, his death with conspiracy theories and talking about how like oh he was found drowned in in a hot tub that doesn't make sense the math isn't mathing it's like yeah it is if he had a cardiac arrest episode in his jacuzzi like yes yes like uh it's just it's it's infuriating so anyway that yes. was I mean, yes it yeah, is yeah. yeah um anyway any thoughts on Matthew Perry <laughs>
1: Uh, just yeah still sad i mean it's 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 really a bummer i was kind of hoping that he i I feel like he was kind of like kind of ripe or kind of prime for a comeback maybe Mm -hmm. um like i don't know he could have i know he tried that over the years he kind of was involved in shows and uh, i just never took off for whatever reason but uh yeah it's just It sucks.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. And I remember like um, in his memoir when he's talking about, I think one of his shows that he that I think was canceled midway through the first season, I think was Go On um, about a widow, widower who uh, volunteers or works with um, a support group for people who have lost people or something like that. Um he spoke very highly and passionately about that about that show about that project and also like the odd couple with Thomas Lennon um like he right. like he had a clear passion for what he did for for the work that he did and everything and it's just like yes he has friends and yes friends is what he's going to be remembered for and everything and and I do appreciate that people are pointing out his the way that he that he in his later life helped people with addiction and everything, like he, um, helped helped people get off of of alcohol and and substances and everything. I remember there was uh there was a TikTok of um Hank Azaria talking about how like how how kind Matthew Perry was and how he was directly. Directly or indirectly responsible for Hank Azaria getting sober, and he has now been sober for like 17 years now. Um, wow. So, I don't know. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah. So, it's it's sad. It's it's tragic. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, do you want to get into extended potpourri, Tiny? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Well, I have several things, but um, I'm going to just kind of... Do you mind if I get us kicked off, and then we can uh, kind of round robin? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So uh, full caveat, most, if not all of these, I have um, immediate reaction recordings on Patreon. Uh, they run about 22 to 25 minutes long, um, a- each one. And so you can check that out for more in-depth stuff there. Um, but that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. The first movie I'm going to talk about is a movie that I saw in the theater um, a week or so ago. It is the new Martin Scorsese movie killers of the flower moon, which I have a clip from the trailer that I will play right now.
1: There are many, so many hungry wolves. Can you find the wolves in this picture
0: So Killers of the Flower Moon the premise is when oil is discovered in 1920s Oklahoma under Osage Nation land The Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery. The director is, of course, Martin Scorsese. Writers are Eric Roth and Martin Scorsese, based on the book by David Gran. And the cast includes Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, and Lily Gladstone. Um, I rated this movie four stars, Tiny, out of five. Um, Have you had a chance to see it yet?
1: I have not, and I'm not sure if I'm going to in the theater.
0: Yeah, I understand that. It is. I would say, if there is any way that you can see it in the theater, I would, I would very much um, um, uh, recommend it because it is, it is gorgeous. It is a gorgeous movie. Um, Cinematography is incredibly good. I mean, it's a Martin Scorsese movie, obviously, so it's going to look incredible. But um, the attention to detail and the, the kind of, the, the wide, the wide landscapes and everything is just in, incredible. Um, the movie's fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. And I love that Martin Scorsese can create something this intricate and, and well done at, you know, the age that he is. And it's just, it is, it's, it's remarkable. The movie is, like, there are some issues that I have with it here and there. Um, In particular, like, Lily Gladstone is a little bit underused in it, but she is also, like, the emotional core of the movie, and what she does in this movie in terms of her performance is absolutely outstanding. Like, it is this understated performance where so much of what's going on like the emotion of it is carried on her shoulders and it is this just incredibly painful, uh, performance that she gives. And it is, it is astonishing. And then of course you have freaking Leo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro, um, that they're, they're incredible too, as well. Um, it's, it's a really, it's a really good movie. Um, yeah, I I don't have much else to say that I didn't already say on Patreon and everything, but um the way that the the events of the movie unfold, it's it's really again, the cinematography, the characterization and the way that in particular, so Robert De Niro's character is kind of the um the figurehead of for lack of a better word, evil. Like the whole movie is about white men taking, uh, like maneuvering to take the wealth of the Osage, uh, Osage nation, um, out from under them. And in doing that, the way that they do that is murder and is by murdering them and everything. And it is so cold and calculating, but, What I found so remarkable about Robert De Niro's performance and the way that the character is written is that he is not this, he is not an outwardly evil person. And it's more cold and chilling that way because he is reacting and making choices that are literally ending lives um, of people close to people that are close to him. And he's doing it without, like, it's like breathing. It's second nature for him. And the way that Robert De Niro, like, brings that out in his performance is is so chilling in a way that I hadn't seen, like, in terms of, like, a sociopath on screen or someone who is not afraid or even conscious of consequences of what they're doing. And there's deeper like meaning and subtext to mind from that that they don't they don't see indigenous people as human beings and everything. Like there's ingrained bigotry in that as well. But like just the way that De Niro performs it is is remarkable. And DiCaprio has this whole like kind of all shucks sort of like like I saw an article that referred to him as being like a dopey, like dumb hick character. And it's like spot on. Like it's it's kind of it's kind of spot on, but like he has this he has this like uh I I guess kind of um light uh conflict within him, but he's still duty bound to his relatives. It's 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 a very um interesting dynamic in it, but I I loved it. It's it's fantastic. Yeah.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Does the Three and a half hour runtime. Like does it feel like it? And it is like is it kind of draggy in some parts? It really isn't. Um it is here's the thing, like like there's been a
0: lot of press about that, about it being like three and a half hours and no intermission and everything and all of that, like, yeah, you know, in in my head I'm just like, okay, boohoo. Like <laughs> you like if you sit on the couch and watch like five episodes of of uh of the West wing or something, then you can sit through three and a half hours of, of Scorsese goodness. Um, but the pacing is very well done. In my opinion, it doesn't feel like three and a half hours to me and I could hold my water throughout it. So, um, so yeah, so I, I had no issues with the runtime. I was engaged with it the entire time I was invested in the story. Um, yeah. And just in, uh, the cinematography, the attention to detail, all of that is gorgeous, gorgeous. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And have,
1: have you read up on it or anything? Are, are the, the actors, uh, in, in the movie, are they, um, I don't want to, I don't know how else to say this. Are they ethnically accurate? Like, are these actual Osage Native Americans? You I know?
0: believe so, but I have not read up on any of that. So that's just, uh. Okay a Whole lot of uh conjecture on my part.
1: Um, I was just wondering if he went for like, like if Marty Scorsese went for like full authenticity over like mm. you know, appearance or like, um, uh, whatever. Like, I, I was just wondering what influenced the casting choices of those characters.
0: Ah, I see, yeah, um, it could be, I don't think, uh, I, I don't know, I can't speak to it
1: okay just curious all right yeah i i don't know maybe like if it's still in theaters um at christmas time like where i have some days off i might go Mm -hmm. see it i I, it's not that i don't want to it's just i don't know if i can talk page into sitting (laughs) in the thing for three and a half hours
0: no i totally get that and and like that is already a big commitment it's funny because like i uh when like i saw i think opening weekend and Um, I was kind of looking through like Fandango and like the AMC app and everything. And I was just like looking and I was thinking like, I, like, I prefer to see a movie in Dolby at AMC. That's my preferred way to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) the only Dolby screening, thanks to the Aeros tour, the only Dolby screening that weekend for, um, for Killers of the Flower Moon was a 7 PM showing and I'm 37 years old, tiny. I can't like that is that is the movie ending at like the run runtime of the movie. If it if the movie itself started at seven, it would end at 10:30, and then you would also have to account for 25 minutes of trailers, and that's like 11 o'clock. Um, and I right. couldn't do that. And what was mind blowing to me was that they actually had like 10:45 screenings. Like for ten forty five p.m., like I can't imagine stumbling out of the theater at like two a.m.
1: Just about, no way. Yeah, there's there's no way. I I could do the seven, but Mm -hmm. wow, ten four, no way. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Wow. Uh, But I ended up seeing it in IMAX. um, Mm. So yeah but nice yeah, yeah i'd highly recommend it though it is i may i will likely be talking about it at the end of the year but i will say i have had quite a, a lot of good uh fortune with with movies this year that are in contention for top 10 so wow nice yeah yep uh what do you have for us for your first uh popery segment tiny
1: uh my first entry is a little documentary that i learned about on uh i think it was on tiktok actually uh it's on it was on max and it is called bs high nice i have a trailer clip would you mind if i play that right now
0: go for it okay here's a clip from bs high
1: img to kick off to bishop sycamore do you want my hands like this, like this, like that? <laughs> Just be natural. You don't have to try. Coach Roy Johnson told us they had a number of Division I prospects. Too high, tip, intercepted. Thanks in a pick six. Into the end zone. He'll waltz in. And that will do it. Do I look like a con artist? how this happens got a lot of people scratching their heads so
0: tiny tell me about bs high i had not heard a single thing about it until you brought it up in our chat uh, before recording
1: yeah I, I remember hearing about this back in 2021 um basically this guy from ohio uh roy johnson roy johnson jr i think it's his name he I don't know why, like it's still a mystery as to why he wanted to do this. He basically started a fake high school football team. Um, hmm. he, there, there's this interesting trend over the last 20, 30 years where there's these college prep academies, um, that are, they're legitimate schools, but they're essentially, uh, sports at their athlete. They're athlete factories is what they are. Okay. Um, but the most famous one is IMG Academy which is in um I don't even know what that stands for it's in Florida somewhere hmm. but basically like every senior that graduates from their football team goes goes to a D1 school and wow. a lot of them end up in the NFL and it's like there it's it's like an unprecedented thing but there's there's academies like that all around the country and um the thing is they're legitimate they they're you know kids pay tuition, they go to school and they get an education. A lot of them are are academically gifted as well. um but basically, this guy wanted to do that, but just didn't care about the academics at all. Hmm. Um, he like convinced a local school in Columbus, Ohio that was a was a a college prep academy but was not an athletic it wasn't an athlete factory. it was just a legitimate college prep academic school and he convinced them to let him start a sports program and he basically just was picking kids up off the street (laughs) that had some athletic ability and never enrolled them in school and was putting them up in a hotel he was recruiting kids from across the country he was recruiting kids who were like 19 20 21 22 years old uh, to play high school football good god yeah, and I he he was like swindling um swindling uh hotels and restaurants mm. and places like that. Like he was printing fake checks and like petting a check to the hotel and then moving all the kids out and before they find out that it's a fake check, he's got all the kids out of there at another Jesus. hotel and like it, it was it was bananas and somehow he uh he hired like a sports agent type guy to go out and talk to some of these really big, like national high school football teams, like some of the, some of the the big teams out of Ohio and Texas and Bishop Gorman and Las Vegas, IMG Academy. Mm -hmm. And this guy got them like one of the most exciting schedules in college or in high school football that year, including playing IMG. And I, that game made it onto ESPN (laughs) and they got absolutely destroyed, like fifty-eight to nothing. But Jesus, it basically just broke, and it's it, it. The the news of this thing finally broke, and it it all it all got dissolved. And uh, anyways, I'm I'm kind of rambling on. It you can just watch the documentary and get mm-hmm. all this information. But um, it's 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 just astounding to me that that how how poised the system was to allow something like this to happen, mm-hmm. like. It's because what's funny is he's not he, he's not in jail like he didn't do mm. anything illegal like <laughs> the state of Ohio investigated him and they were like ah, "Man, that's fucked up and then that was it yeah. like they can't they can't because cause it was a, it was a religious institution that he was that he that they were it was started as a religious institution B.S. High State by the way stands for Bishop Sycamore oh which is completely that's the name of the high school <laughs> that he created uh, that is awesome yeah. Wow. Um That yeah. is like that wow. Okay.
0: Like <laughs> that is that is the name that the high school that he created? Yeah. Okay. That that's like that reminds me of the um oh god, what was it the um whatever the the institution in accepted uh that oh, spells like S H I T. South Harmon South Harmon Institute of Technology, Technology. shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. That is incredible.
1: Yeah, but anyways, the, the documentary was really fascinating because this guy, uh, Roy Johnson Jr., he, they like he he's in the documentary. Like they interviewed him multiple times, and he is a like d- definitive sociopath, um, mm. completely unremorseful about any of this. Um, just just uh, like to call him a character would be an understatement because he's he is for sure, but he's just so. Like, I don't even know if I can call him evil, but he was just like, I, I don't even know how to describe him. It's His lack of remorse for this is insane. Because mm. he, took, he took some kids who were seventeen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen 16, 17, 18 years old, and they had no academics for a year or two. Like, Jeez. And, and some of these kids were athletically gifted. Like, one of the kids was trying to get into a college, and the college was interested in him. But once they found out about the Bishop Sycamore thing, they were like, well, you didn't even go to school for a whole year, mm. so sorry like, like his his chance is gone you know yeah. he, that's he ruined the lives of a bunch of these kids and it's it's funny cuz it's just not none of it's illegal it was mm-hmm. not illegal what he did and he's the guy he's oh still out there like he's i mean he doesn't he doesn't have a football team anymore mm, but yeah. um yeah the, the documentary is cool it's interesting because they talk to all these kids who were players they have him and he, his lack of remorse and it's 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 interesting to see the tapestry of bullshit that he weaves Mm -hmm. in order to defend himself even amongst all these these um testimonials from these kids who were on his team and um it's 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 a really remarkable story um of course the one of the probably the worst thing is that he like you know he was charging these kids tuition like oh yeah or their parents and a lot of these kids were from inner city columbus or really they're from all over the country actually they were from mm. texas and florida Jeez. and new york and and you know some of these kids didn't have any money and he like gave some of these kids a form and he was like hey this this will be a form you fill this out and you can apply for a loan that will cover your tuition oh god it was a fake form and he had them like write down their social security number Oof. And then he filed for a PPP loan in their name to pay for their tuition. And so like they were interviewing some of these kids and they were like they're like you know, they're like, So did you ever did you ever take out a PPP loan to pay for your to pay for your uh, um tuition? And they were just like, No, I don't even know what that is and then they show them the paperwork, like, you owe twenty grand. (laughs) Like I mean That's horrible. Yeah, but there's no. They, they can't prove it. They can't prove that he did that. Like you know, because it's like mm. these kids filled out a form and yeah, it's oh, his God. word against theirs. I mean, it's it's insane how smart this guy was. It, it's crazy. Uh That's yeah, nuts. Kinda, again, I'm kind of rambling it, but um, no,
0: that
1: <sighs> yeah, it's 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 a really it's a really fascinating documentary, and the story is just absolutely bananas.
0: Wow, awesome. Well, that is BS high. It is on Max. Um. I just recently, within the last couple of months, canceled my Mac subscription. <laughs> so, Oh, no shit. Uh, yeah, so I will check it out at some point. Um, cool. But yeah, wow, that that sounds really interesting. Um, shall I go to my next one? Yes, sir. Okay, this might be a little bit brief. Um, I went to a screening of The Killer um, last week, I think, and... Um, And the killer, I don't have a, I don't have a trailer clip for it, but basically the killer is the new David Fincher movie. Uh, the premise is after a fateful near miss, an assassin battles his employers and himself on an international manhunt he insists isn't personal. Uh, like I said, the director is David Fincher, writer is Andrew Kevin Walker. This is the first collaboration of David Fincher and Andrew Kevin Walker since seven, I think. Um, in 97 or eight, I'm not sure. I can't remember when, but, uh, starring as the titular killer is Michael Fassbender. And as of this recording, it is in limited release in theaters. Now it is going to be hitting Netflix on November 10th. And I rated it three stars, um, which isn't bad. Like I, I found that this movie was a very interesting exercise and process, Um, a lot of it, the majority of this movie is Michael Fassbender. Like we are in his perspective. He gives voiceover narration. He has his mantras, his, uh, different things he has for how he handles his job as a, as a contract killer. And I kind of came, I I kind of went back and forth with this, uh, with my feelings on this movie because it is very very cold. It is very dry, cold and sterile basically. And beneath the beneath that cold exterior, it is kind of it is kind of an antithesis to traditional like assassin movies that are all bombastic and huge blockbusters and everything. Instead, it's this cold treatment of unfortunately the same plot. Like like he has like a near miss he there there is an incident on a job that goes awry and then he has to react to that incident by going after the people that employ him and going after certain people so that he can survive and like that is the blueprint for so many like assassin movies and like it kind of seems like a little bit of an archetype there which plays into the movie's favor pretty well if you if you really key into it which i kind of struggled with throughout it but i can recognize that it's it it's good for what it is um because he is like he's presenting himself as this trained killer that knows every move and does everything right but throughout the movie, he does things like things happen that do not go as planned and do not go as he intends them to. And it's it's this very fine line of him doing things and him going into scenarios with certain expectations. And then the movie showcases how fallible he is and how it's like this fine line of, where other lesser movies would have shown him to be kind of a buffoon about it. He at least is, it's more of a, um, kind of natural things go awry sort of thing, if that makes sense. Um, but the biggest downside I had from it was that it is very much a, um, a a low key kind of, um, storyline like there it's very unforgiving to the audience in terms of who certain people are what their relationship is to uh michael fassbender's character how the how the interactions that he has with these people um inform on the greater narrative of it it's very very kind of discreet to the point where if you're not like fully invested in the movie, it's going to come across as a little dry and boring. Um, And yeah, and it almost did that for me, but it did hold my attention throughout it. And I don't know. I thought that it was fine. It was, it was okay. So I rated it three stars. It's going to be on Netflix on November 10th. So.
1: Okay. Yeah. Weird. That, that was not on my radar at all. Um, Like I, I mean, first of all, um, David Fincher, like, what's up, man? Where you been? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, like I, I never saw Mank. Me I neither. Never watched that. Um, and before that, his his last movie credit was directing credit was Gone Girl in 2014. Oh yeah, and then like in almost the, 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, <laughs> in the interim of that, I know that he produced and probably directed episodes of Mind Hunter.
1: Yeah, he did. Yeah, but but I mean, like a movie, like oh yeah,
0: uh, a movie, yeah. And wow. it's crazy cuz like he's made some of my favorite movies like ever and yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of insane. Mank yeah. is a movie that I feel like I could have liked if I gave it a shot but I just circumstances I think it came out during COVID. I had COVID when I tried to watch it and I was like yeah. I can't like I think that the opening scene like like my symptoms were so severe that like the opening scene of Mank like I I was annoyed and angry at the sound of the typewriter keys um <laughs> like I was like I can, my head is pounding I can't do this uh wow so yeah so
1: I just fully forgot about it but uh but yeah like he like from yeah. a visual standpoint he's he's a top 5 favorite director mm. of mine and oh yeah yeah it's just been a while since I've seen anything from him so yep yep cool yeah so, i'll watch it on netflix
0: yeah let me know what you think sure. um yeah what do you got next for us tiny
1: um up next it'll be pretty brief but uh mm-hmm. i watched um all the episodes of ahsoka on ah. uh, disney plus yeah, yeah. i um, have
0: a clip from the trailer if you want me to
1: bring us into oh yeah it. sure yeah <laughs> sorry okay
0: here we go clip from the trailer for ahsoka
1: i started hearing whispers Of Thrawn's return as heir to
0: the Empire. What happens when we find Thrawn?
1: Power. Such as you've never dreamed. I've spent most of my life fighting a war. That's why I'm trying to convince you to help me prevent another one.
0: So, Tiny, I know that you, like, you're a big fan of the Thrawn trilogy. Um, how did you feel about Ahsoka and and how that all uh panned out I didn't watch any of it so that what did you think of it
1: yeah it was it was really pretty solid i i really enjoyed it um i that's part of the reason why i why i was so excited for this is cuz i i came to the Thrawn trilogy the, the the books written by Timothy Zahn i came to those probably about like 10 years ago at this point i mean it's it's been a while which i was late to the game cuz they were written in the 90s but mm-hmm. um you know, I I came to those and those books are absolutely phenomenal. Um, some of the best Star Wars out there, like for sure. Nice. Um, and so I I immediately was like, who's going to play Thrawn in a movie? Like, it's got to happen. Somebody needs to do it. Um, and there were rumors for years, and there were you know actors saying, oh, I'd love to do it. He's a cool character, and uh, most notably, um, Benedict Cumberbatch. People were talking about him. Hmm. Would have been perfect. Um. But yeah, so I, I've always been interested in seeing a live action Thrawn, um, and so any anywhere Thrawn shows up, I, I was I was curious to see him. And uh, and so before I watched Ahsoka, um, I was familiar with the character of Ahsoka Tano from Clone Wars, the yeah. uh, animated series. That's where her that's her genesis. That's where she was from originally. Um, and then after after Clone Wars, Dave Filoni, the creator of that, did another star wars uh animated series called rebels star wars mm. rebels i just had never gotten around to that and i should have because i knew thrawn was in it um so I've, i i basically binged the shit out of rebels over like three or four months nice. it was a really solid show like there's really good really good character i, I really enjoy the way dave filoni navigates the star wars universe nice. um i really want to see him do something more at more like adult, if that if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, people have been eating up the Mandalorian. People loved Ahsoka, yeah. and uh, th- that's exactly what Dave Filoni needed to do. He needed to do like get away from like a kid show. He needed to do something more adult. And I- I'm not surprised at all that the Mandalorian and Ahsoka has been hugely successful, super good. Everyone's loving it. Like, because I- I'm just not surprised at all. Because he's a really good storyteller, and he. Nice much like Stephen King, he focuses heavily on his characters. Nice. Um, yeah. So that's, that's why even those kids shows, you know, animated kid shows, it's, it was not hard to watch them because that is present even in those shows. Um, I loved the ragtag group uh, of the, um, the rebels led by uh, the character of Harrison Dula. Um, they were just a really, a really fun group. And I kind of fell in love with them and, Thankfully, they all pretty much come back in Ahsoka. And so it was really fun to see live action versions of these these characters that I had watched, you know, 100 episodes of animated. Nice. It was really, really cool to see live action versions. Um, and then, uh, of course, I was most excited to see uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn, mm-hmm. played by Lars Mikkelsen. And he also voiced the character <laughs> phenomenally on Rebels. He was like a perfect voice for Thrawn nice Um. yeah like physically the way he he looks like he he was he looks great he looks really good but I, I would have chosen someone a little younger but I think Thrawn's the age of Thrawn at this point in his story it makes sense that he's a little bit older mm-hmm. Um. but yeah it was it was just so cool to find I mean like I said I've been I've been thinking about Thrawn live action for 10 years and it yeah. was so cool to finally see it um and it, he was great he did a great job they wrote him brilliantly i loved the story it was so cool just uh, it it has this it reminded me of how i felt about um the the force awakens back in 2015 when that came out like this all this mythicism and lore about you know where's luke skywalker and yeah. it's like where's where's Thrawn and where's um Whereas, uh, Ezra Bridger, the kind of the, the new upcoming Jedi guy in, in in the series, um, it's, it's just so it, it had this really cool mystery kind of feel to it. Um, and it didn't abandon anything from the, from the cartoons, which was really refreshing. Cause he was like, no, I wrote a good story there and I'm going to stick to it. I don't care if it was a kid show. Um, nice. I just, I fully respect it. So great cast, um, RIP Ray Stevenson. I had no idea. He oh yeah, away.
0: that's right
1: i mean I, it's such a bummer because he was terrific in this mm. i really liked him a lot um yeah uh he was kind of his character was kind of being set up as like this kind of outsider villain that's like not like he's not a sith but he's mm. not he's kind of evil okay he's not a rebel either like he's kind of not good not bad he's kind of in between and, and almost anti heroish ish but i that's... don't know like uh really cool idea and it just it's it's really a shame that he you know he was a great guy really really cool actor to watch and it's a shame that he's gone but um yeah yeah really good cast really good cast throughout the whole show um hayden christensen comes back as anakin skywalker and did did a great job i actually liked him a lot more in this than i liked him i liked him a lot more in this than um um in obi-wan obi-wan kenobi thank you um he he was a lot better in this. I I really liked it. Um, nice. Yeah, it's Ahsoka was really good. I I really liked it. I think I think I I don't know. I wasn't super thrilled with Rosario Dawson. Like I, oh, interesting. They they gave her plenty to work with. I I feel like she was just playing it a little too a little too guarded. Um, hmm. I don't know. I want I wanted to see a little bit more range from the character or a little bit more range from her performance because. Ahsoka Tana was very very up and down uh in in the in the in um the clone wars she was mm-hmm. you know cuz she's like a like a teenager in that yeah. and so she's very much a kid but then she gets in these very serious situations and she's leading men into battle but then she's got her teenage angst stuff going on and she was just a really fun character and and I feel like that was missing a little bit in this um but i I really hope you know they keep doing more and it's i don't know i think uh, i think this new these new star wars stories are are really what the franchise needed mm-hmm. i um you know uh, after the kind of stinker that was um the the newer trilogy you know uh it was it's just great to to see fresh star wars
0: nice yeah i have um been kind of on the fence, like I've been wanting to kind of dive into the newer stuff, but I, I'm just so over trying to get into star Wars. So, um, that's fair. Yeah. So I, I don't know, maybe eventually I'll buckle down and, and watch the newer stuff, but,
1: um, I'm glad you liked it though. And I'm, I'm glad it, yeah. uh, it was, it was good. I mean, Ahsoka's kind of hard to get to because there's so much backstory for, yeah, the animated shows. So it's kind of, it, it meant a lot more to like probably me and other people who Mm -hmm. were fans of those shows. Um, so if you didn't see those, it's probably not as, as impressive, but, but like the Mandalorian, I know you've only watched some of that. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, I think that's really, really good. Um, Oh yeah.
0: I, I think I've seen the first two seasons of the Mandalorian and like, it's maybe of everything that I've seen of star Wars, which I've seen all the movies, plus that and other stuff too, I'm sure. But um the first two seasons of, of Mandalorian is some of my favorite of anything Star Wars that I've seen. And I mean, nice. granted, my enjoyment or lack thereof of the franchise as a whole, it like that makes it kind of a lower bar to to meet. Um mm. but it's still like it's it's the kind of Star Wars that I really wanted to be. Like it plays into that whole uh, Western fantasy, um, thing.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, that is on Disney plus and, uh, we're running a little bit long. I'm going to do one more if, if that's cool. And then if you want to round us out after that, we can call it a sure. night. Um, yeah. But my next one is for a movie that is currently in theaters and streaming on Peacock. It is Five Nights at Freddy's, and I'm going to play a clip from the trailer right now.
1: Hi, this is Mike. I was just calling to see if that job that you offered was still available. Yes. The security guard. I will take anything.
0: This place was huge in the 80s with the kids. They shut it down years ago.
1: The owner's just not ready to let it go yet. I will work and you will sleep. I understand.
0: Give me your So Five Nights at Freddy's is based on the popular video game uh franchise and it, the plot summary courtesy of imdb is a troubled security guard begins working at freddy fazbear's pizza during his first night on the job he realizes that the night shift won't be so easy to get through pretty soon he will unveil uh what actually happened at freddy's uh, the movie is uh directed by emma tammy and writers are uh scott cawthon who's who uh, made the video game uh, Seth uh, Kudback, uh, Emma Tammy, and uh, uh, screen story credits for Chris Lee Hill and Tyler McIntyre. The movie stars Josh Hutcherson, uh, Piper Rubio, uh, Elizabeth Lale, and Matthew Lillard, uh, as well as Mary, uh, Mary Stuart Masterson. Like I said, it's it's currently streaming on Peacock, and it is in theaters. So I am very happy that... The movie's fan base seems to like it. Um, (laughs) I (laughs) didn't like it all that much, but I also recognize that I am not someone who is in the demographic for it. Um, And I can recognize that it clearly has things for the intended audience that they that will be more meaningful for them than it will ever be for me and that is phenomenal i'm super happy for for that and more importantly i like the idea i like that this is gateway horror for younger audiences this is horror that young audiences will see and they will it will it will kind of grow them into uh horror fans when they come of age and and uh seek out more uh more adult horror basically. So I am very thrilled that it's successful and I'm thrilled that it's successful at that. Um but for me personally, I just didn't really I wasn't really that receptive to it. Um there are elements of it that Just feel like uh, feel a little bit like there were too many cooks in the kitchen and it felt like there were too many, too many things going all at once. Like the whole plot of Mike, the security guard, having this traumatic past that he's trying to solve a mystery of his past by basically lucid dreaming. That was a weird curveball for me in the movie. Um, and it kind of asks you to believe in some weird concepts that I, that I felt like weren't, weren't propped up well enough in the movie because it was in contention with so many other subplots. There's another subplot involving Mike's custody battle with, uh, for custody of his young sister that was... Like it was in a completely different movie. Like his aunt played by Mary Stewart Masterson is a cartoon villain. She is like Cruella DeVille in like a Disney plus Freddy, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's movie. Like she's, she's like, she's like a very, uh, like, like, like again, she's like, she's like a Disney channel movie villain In a gateway horror movie, then the, the, that just doesn't mesh well. It is so weird, um, to see because like she has like this lawyer that is very like oafish and weird and like he's staring off into space and there's nothing to that subplot that is paid off in any meaningful way. Um, and it just, it's jarring. Um, so that's, that's a couple of the negatives, The positives for me were in the way that the animatronics of the Freddy Fazbear's like monsters basically were used, and there it's a little bit less. Like there's there's not quite enough there um, for my for my overall liking. But what we do get is pretty cool. Like it's pretty cool. It's pretty intimidating. Uh, there's a long stretch of the movie where they're not intimidating and that was weird and like they're friendly and it was just, it was annoying really. And it kind of really bl- like took in all the air of suspense for like an extended period of time in the movie. And I felt like that was just a complete misstep. Um, But when they are active as threatening beings, they are frightening and they are very well, well done in terms of the overall production. Um, so that was a really cool kind of visual thing and really cool. Um, uh, it led to a couple of really interesting and fun and, uh, intense set pieces. Um, but overall I didn't really care all that much for Five Nights at Freddy's. Like I said, the fan base seems to love it. I'm super happy for that. And, uh, I wouldn't besmirch anyone's enjoyment of the movie, but for me personally, I didn't really care all that much for it. So I rated it two stars. Um, I did a Patreon exclusive immediate reaction recording on it and a TikTok video as well. Um, but yeah, wasn't really for me, but I appreciate, um, I appreciate what it is, what it achieved in its, um, in the way that it, uh, is geared toward a young audience. Nice. Yeah.
1: I've, um, yeah, it's on. It's on a Peacock, um, mm-hmm. and NASCAR is on NBC. So, like, Ugh. they are promoting the shit out of this this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I've seen the trailer like seven thousand times, and <laughs> I thought it looked kind of kind of quirky and and, mm-hmm. and kind of like fun horror. So, I, I was pretty interested in it. So, um, I'm glad that you watched it. Um, I, I still might check it out just because it looks so bananas. I guess.
0: Yeah, I would honestly recommend it. Like, it's not it's not a bad time. It just really wasn't for me. Okay, right on. Yeah, yep. Uh, do you want to close us out with a final Patreon thing for episode four hundred of the Obsessive Viewer?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, th- this will be pretty brief, but uh, we, my wife and I, recently watched uh, the final season, season four of Sex Education. Um, nice on netflix which is uh just a truly truly phenomenal show if you haven't watched it you really should it's it's so entertaining it's inspiring it's hilarious um some of the best characters on tv just so nice. such a great show um and it is it's it's a british show so you know they kind of did the, the limited that you know which i i, I so appreciate the kind of less is more thing that yeah that kind of attitude they have over there I, I really appreciate that the whole the whole show is 32 episodes i mean it's huh. not it's nothing crazy um the fourth season felt was the only season that really felt kind of rushed like they were trying to cram everything in and get it get it done um i mean it's it started in, it went from 2019 to 2023 but i could have sworn it started like 10 years ago it feels like <laughs> it feels like the episodes came out every other year or something. I don't know. It just has this, It felt like there was such a long time between episodes, but um, anyways, uh, the, the, the ending was still really good. I, the characters are just so fun and so deep and incredible and layered and just, just so good that you can't, you can't not have a good time with the show. Um, but, but it, it really did feel rushed. I feel like they actually kind of needed a fifth season to, Mm. um, expand some of these storylines uh from this fourth season we, we didn't have a lot of time with some of them and, and that was a shame um a- aja butterfield is a great actor i you know i've, I've been a fan of his um he he's a, a child actor who is um kind of transitioning into uh to adult acting and um i i hope he makes it because he's really talented um but the standout to me is uh an actor who I'd never seen in anything else is I, I don't know if I'm gonna pronounce his name right, but uh in in Kuti Gatwa is, is his name. Ah, um, I've
0: heard about it. he's gonna be one of the like the next doctor. Oh, is he? I didn't know I that. I think so. I think so.
1: Oh yeah, because uh a,
0: David Tennant is coming back for a brief run and then he's gonna be the next doctor after him. No kidding. Okay. Yeah.
1: I I love it. He'll be fantastic at it. He is so good like he is just um i i'm pretty sure he's he plays a a gay character in the show and i i think he's gay in real life i would be surprised if he wasn't mm. I, either either that or he's the best actor that's ever lived um he he is just so hilarious like he's he's so funny and just magnetic but he has these super powerful dramatic moments in the show that are just Bookended by him being goofy and funny, and and I, I am astounded by him. He he is so nice. talented as an actor. Um, uh, he he was a standout to me. Um, throughout all four seasons. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't seen the show, you you really should. It's it's so, and it's it's not. It's 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 set at a high school or a secondary school, whatever the hell they call it over in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is like it is not a teen show. Like it's not it's 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 not some goofy teen comedy like american pie like it is Mm -hmm. it is way more than that um truly truly just a brilliant show and i highly recommend it
0: nice i will definitely uh be on the lookout for that i will definitely check it out it is on netflix um i was gonna make a stupid joke when uh when you had mentioned that you were gonna bring up sex education i was gonna (laughs) so dumb. It's going to be like, "Okay, yes, good. Uh I have my pencil and paper here." Um so let me get my banana. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. <laughs> uh so dumb. But, yes, we are Uh bad. yes. Uh but yeah, well that's cool. I will check that out. Um anything else for episode 400? No. Congrats on 400 yes. ep- episodes, bro. Yes, same to you. Uh very very uh, excited to event like the next, uh, obviously the next like benchmark is going to be like 500 and 600 and everything. But when yeah. we get to not to 1000, that's where we'll know that we made it. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> Oh, so man. yeah. Uh anyway, that will do it for this episode of the Obsessive Viewer, episode 400. Um like I said before, check out Patreon if you liked what you heard here um and you want to support us while getting a slew of exclusive content that I work really hard at. Um uh check out patreon.com/obsessiveear. Um uh I post a lot of stuff on there um so check that out and uh yeah tiny any parting thoughts just thanks for listening guys yes thanks for listening and i think next week we may do something for the marvels we'll see um but yeah i'm gonna go ahead and play us out uh once again thank you guys so much for listening and uh follow us on social media obsessive viewer obsessive tiny Find everything there. Also, Letterboxed. We love Letterboxed. Um, yeah, that's Obsessive You and Obsessive Tiny. Um, yeah, I'm trying to get to the point of the jingle. There we go. Okay, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs> and now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon exclusive RSS feed for the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes. TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings commentary tracks and Patreon pooperie episodes go to patreon.com/obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month thank you and enjoy uh, people arrive on the scene um toward the end of the movie that feels it feels a little bit a little bit like the movie's trying a little bit too hard to force action and force horror into Um, An enclosed space, basically. That's all I'll say about that. Um, And that felt a little bit ham-fisted for me. Um, But on a similar note, the lead up to that, like in the first couple of acts of the movie, there's some pretty decent characterization for Peter as a character. Um, He's bullied at school uh, pretty severely. And I really like the way that that is handled in this movie. Um, There is a kind of run of scenes involving him and his tormentor um, and his bully. And then the way that the voice in his room influences him to take action against that, that's stuff that I wanted more of. Um, We got to see, like, there's like one one situation that comes up as a result of that. And then that kind of does...
1: This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at
0: ObsessiveViewer.com
1: slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.